we are really excited, but also really sad at the same time. Um, because the Lord blessed us. I can't do this. Because the Lord blessed us several years ago with a handful of college students who have blessed our life immeasurably. They blessed the ministry of our church, the ministries of our church. Uh, They've supported your pastor and his family in some dark times. Uh, They've done laundry in our washer, (laughs) like like yesterday. We absolutely have been so thankful and honored that God has brought this group of college students to us and our lives will never be the same. And I hate the fact that we're ascending church. I'm just going to put that out there because I've cried a few tears on this platform doing so. But we have several that are graduating, getting married, moving on, moving out of town, onto their lives that God has purposed for them. And today we're going to say goodbye to Maggie and Maddie. Would y'all come and join us? Do you want to say something? So if y'all just stand in the middle, that's fine. Um, Anyway, uh, I want you to see them cry too. Okay, so um, Maggie has been instrumental in helping with our college ministry, Chi Alpha. Um, When we had a transition in our leadership, she uh, bit the bullet and said, sure, I'll do it. I don't know what I'm doing, but okay. And and as you can tell already this morning in our worship service, she's lent her gift uh, to us as well in leading worship. And we're so thankful. Would you give her a round of applause? We have flowers for you and a special gift here that you're really going to enjoy. (laughs) And for Maddie, Maddie has a special place in my heart. Um, Some of you, or most of you probably wouldn't know this, um, but I know one of her relatives from way long ago. Um, He was my downstairs neighbor in college, her uncle, Nathan. And so um, we, we have had just an awesome time together the last few years her helping to build the youth ministry here. We actually have Eric in the back visiting today. Uh, he's back from Spain. Um, anyway, uh, they had it on their heart, and she specifically said, hey, I really want to help with the teenagers and build a youth ministry. But uh, one of the things that I love about both of these women is that they are all about the gospel and all about what Christ has done for them, but also what they can share with others. And we love you with all of our heart. So um, if today's your first day at Celebrate Church, we're glad that you're here. We're sorry you saw your pastor cry already. But uh, if you are first time or first time in a long time, fill out one of these connection cards and turn it in at the guest table on the way out this morning. And we would love to get to know you a little bit better and give you a gift. I want to welcome you. Uh, We've been in this series called Christmas at Celebrate Church. And uh, I've been picking apart a couple different things throughout the Christmas story uh, or in the Christmas story that I want to share throughout the month of December. And today I want to share a message with you entitled Three Kings. Um, If you wanted to, you could start singing out We Three Kings of... No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, we We know that Jesus is the king of all kings. 
The Bible tells us so, and we understand that to be so. When we look at the historical facts of Jesus, it was even uh, something that was mentioned in his death, in his crucifixion, that he was the king of kings, king of the Jews. But I want to show you three different types of kings that are mentioned in the Christmas story and share some truth about them. Because some kings came to worship Jesus. Another king is listed in scripture as not wanting to worship Jesus and being very jealous um, of him. And then we understand Jesus as the king of kings deserves all of our worship because there's no other like him in all of human history, all of our understanding. Jesus is the king of kings. So I'm going to show you some things about these three different aspects. Go with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and we'll begin in the Christmas story. We're going to be reading verses 1 and 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. When you read that, you may not realize this, but when it says the east, it's talking about an ancient name of a place, which would be Persia. You can also hear stories about Persia in the book of Daniel. If you read the book of Daniel and you've come across that, what that is modern day Iran. Okay. So just so that you're understanding where they've come from, they come from there to Jerusalem and they said in verse two, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now skip down to verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. It's talking about a conversation they had with Herod. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. Everybody say that word, exceedingly, with great joy. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. These wise men are historically understood to be men of royalty, noble birth, high-class individuals who had much more wisdom than others around them. They would have been traveling from Persia or Iran, modern-day Iran, a distance of about a 1,000 miles. This is the days before planes, trains, and automobiles, so they would have done this on camels or livestock of some sort to make it through. I want to share with you some details about this because it would have taken them six to nine months of a journey and they saw the star rise and began to follow it to go to the place of Jesus. So it would have been six to nine months later. Now there is nothing, you might be thinking already, there's nothing wrong with wise men in a nativity. I think that's cute. Keep them there. Don't cut them out of the picture. But they were not there the night that Jesus was born. So it's important that we think about this clearly. Young child is mentioned nine times in seven verses in this passage, talking about Jesus at the age of being a toddler. They've come to worship him. Verse 11 says they fell down and worshiped him. The translation from the original language would be literally like you took a vase and intentionally shattered it on the floor. When it says they fell down to worship him, it was 
it was probably a sight to see for them to have been confronted or finally arrived at the place where they saw Jesus. And it says they just gave up everything and fell down and worshiped him. A side note in here, stars don't went. (laughs) I know that's not good English, but when it says the star went and they followed it, um, I'm not sure. I've got my own theory. I can share with, with you after service today about what my theory is, what would have happened in the celestial realm in order to lead them to this place. But stars don't went and they definitely don't rest. Um, above houses or places, okay? So there's something really awesome going on here that the God of the universe who has planned and plotted his course, even giving a prophecy through the mouth of Balaam in Numbers chapter 23, that a star will rise at the moment of the birth of the Messiah. There's some incredible pieces in this puzzle that God is putting together in this moment. Something to notice, though, about these wise men in verse 10, it says they saw the star and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I don't know about you, but I have exceedingly great joy when my team wins. Okay. Um, (sighs) Someone take this woman out. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, I rejoice greatly, okay? If you've ever watched a football game with me, ever been in the room with me, there's some hooping and hollering, shouting and running and whatever, okay? Because I'm getting excited. Here's the deal. I get excited about Christ and what he's done for me and I should have exceedingly abundant, great joy. So you can say amen to me, but I'm talking to you. Don't act like it's a funeral when you get here because it's not. Amen. Because we've got something to have joy in our hearts, in our face. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Um, We've got a reason to celebrate. And so if I can get excited about a football game or you can get excited about your kid winning a trophy or getting a reward or whatever the, the, the thought may be, we must understand that these men, wise men, the highest knowledgeable people of the day, they left all reservation behind and they worshiped with exceedingly great joy. So are you lacking joy? Because if you lack joy, I want to show you something that I think is really important. I think that worship and generosity can bring you joy. I think there's actually another, it's kind of subtle, but there's another thing there that after they worshiped and after they gave Think about the wise men. They come into town at first looking, where is he? They're consulting others. They're like, okay, what do I? Then they go and they find him. They worship, they give, and then all of a sudden God speaks to them in a dream. God could have spoken to them in a dream and told them what place to go to first. But the voice of God was heard in the heart of a person who was willing to worship like with abandon and to give and be generous. I think there's a key there because worshiping God sets your mind on him. And what does giving do? I love to give. I absolutely love to give. What does giving do? 
It sets my mind on others. So they've set their mind on God. They've done it in the right order. Then they've set their mind on Jesus in this moment, on others. And as a result, it says that God who never spoke to them before now spoke to them in a dream. I'm telling you, if you're missing out hearing from God, he still speaks. But maybe there's some work that we need to do ahead of time. So joy is always found by those who are extravagant worshipers and extravagant givers. So these joyous kings, they worshiped exuberantly, they rejoiced extravagantly, and they gave extravagantly. They did everything in their power, I want you to think about this, in order to come to worship the king of kings. You could even say they didn't let the rain keep them home from church. Okay, sorry, sorry. Okay, no, you can just rewind it later. Now I'm going to tell you about the jealous king, the jealous king. So now the jealous king would be Herod. He shows up in this story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. It says, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them, he gathered from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. I want you to understand Herod is not a Jew. He's not a Jew, but he understood to send them to Bethlehem. There's some really interesting things in the Christmas story. If you take time to really dwell on it. Verse 16 in Matthew chapter 2, it says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Now, we may think, uh, and any death is horrific when someone is you know, trying to kill others. Any level or any amount of death is bad. But if you do some study in the history of what would have happened in those days, we're talking about less than a hundred in that city that would have died as a result of his reign of terror and his desire to try to annihilate those children who were two years old or under. I'm going to tell you something that I noticed in this. There is one attitude, one attitude that cannot coexist with joy, and that is jealousy. If you've ever met a cranky person who is jealous and always angry, always complaining, always, I'm going to tell you, they don't have joy anywhere in their heart, in their life. So if you're missing out on joy, maybe there's a heart check that needs to be done too. Because if you're jealous, you'll never have joy. Let me say it another way. If you're selfish, you'll never have joy. You ought to teach your kids this and your grandkids. It's good. If you're selfish, you'll never have joy. The best joy or the greatest joy or the most authentic joy that is ever possible, human to human, as a result, is when we are in the place of not thinking about ourselves and being selfish, but in thinking about others. Why else would Paul the Apostle say, esteem others higher than yourself? He didn't say put yourself down and talk bad about yourself. No, but he did say you should think more about them than you do about you. 
And that's what we do in Christmas. I love the Christmas season because we say it's the season of giving. It seems like the world is a happier place. I know, granted, there are some news reports and things. Bad stuff happens 24 hours a day. I get it. But during the Christmas season, there's this spirit of joyfulness. And the reason I truly believe is not just because we're seeing family members we haven't seen and that kind of thing. It's because everybody is in the mode to give. You'll never experience joy unless you give up your desire to stay in control. And this is what Herod was desiring. He wanted to be in control. He wanted to be controlling his own future, his own fate, the fate of the kingdom, all of those things. Turn to somebody this morning and say, let it go. Let it go. Uh, It's hard. Don't start singing. Just say, let it go. Great. Number three, here we go. The third king that shows up is the just king. The just king. So we've seen the joyful kings, those wise men who came from afar. We've seen the jealous king and what that resulted in. And now we look at the just king. He is the king of kings, Jesus Christ, our savior. Verse eight of chapter two in Luke, it says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings or good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Think about this. The creator and sustainer of the universe. All powerful, all present, all-knowing, came to earth in the most vulnerable of ways as a helpless baby. If you've ever had a baby or ever held a baby or been around a baby, they need you. (laughs) They need everything. They need to be carried everywhere they go. They need to be nourished to stay alive. If you haven't thought about that before, you should think about that that the God who created this world does actually submitted himself, his son to become creation, not just, Oh yeah, God sent his son to be a man and die and raise from the dead. No, think about it in this way to become the very vulnerable, the most vulnerable among us in the form of a baby helpless. He gave up all control. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus laid it all down. That he was willing to lay it all down in order to become our king and to be able to be born with that purpose in mind for him to live on this earth a sinless life, to die that gruesome death and to raise from the dead so that we too would have hope for victory in the future. That we too can rise from the dead again. If you want joy... I'm going to tell you like this, you've got to quit fighting. You have to give up control to the God of the universe. 
There was so much joy in the life of Jesus. Yes, he was persecuted. Yes, other things happened. But for him to fulfill the purpose here on earth, he was not a cranky Christian. He was a joy-filled man. Until you give up control, you will never experience joy. The Bible does tell us that God is just. And I want to tell you about that briefly before we close and I invite the worship team to come. At the end of the message today, we'll have one song. We call it our encore song. It's just a a moment for you to reconnect with God because of the message. And I want you to think through the different things. I'll give you a challenge in just a minute to think through what applies to you and let the Holy Spirit help you with that. But the Bible tells us that God is just. That means he's fair and he's impartial. If you're a believer for any period of time and you remember what Paul said, neither Greek nor Gentile nor male nor female nor slave nor free, God doesn't play favorites. And because he doesn't, or rather, he doesn't play favorites and that proves that he is just. The fact that God is just means that he can and he will judge what's right and wrong and he will administer justice based on his perfect standards. People are confused, I think, because they they don't want to think about God as a judge. But many times in the Bible, God is pictured as such. The Bible says that one day, Jesus, God himself, will judge the world. Many of us shy away from this thought of God being a judge because maybe we think about the humanity side of things here. If you've ever heard about a conviction that's been overturned because of new evidence, you've ever heard about a judge getting himself in trouble because he favored certain you know, people, you've seen the partiality or the partial nature of how humans work and, so, and see those flaws and corruptions, even when their intentions are the best, they still make mistakes. But God doesn't make mistakes. Amen? The fact that God is just assures us that when he acts as a judge, he will administer justice exactly as it should be and perfectly. His ability to do this should help us understand more about who he is as a character. His characteristics, the wisdom that he holds, the knowledge that he holds, the grace that he holds, the love that he holds, his authority, his moral character, his superiority above all of us helps us understand that he is able to be the one who judges between right and wrong. And in fact, I would say it like this, that if, if he wasn't able to judge between right and wrong the way that we believe that he is, then that would help, that would cause us, not help, that would cause us to lose all of our understanding of him being a moral being that's worthy of worship. Because if he doesn't judge between right and wrong, and if he doesn't judge human actions, then he would not be admirable. He would not be someone who's worthy of our love, our trust, and our worship. So I think sometimes we've got to just recalibrate and get ourselves in that place where we understand that God is just, and I'm so thankful that he is. I'm so thankful that he doesn't play favorites. I'm so thankful that he loves me just as much as he loves you, and he loves others just as he loves you. I'm so thankful that he gives the same gift and availability of gifts to all people for them to have something from him. It's incredible when you think about it. Because if we were God, 
We would not behave that way. I can imagine you've already got names scrolling on that list in your head of people you would just zap, right? You'd be like, they're gone. Okay, awesome. Uh, But God's not like that. If he was, we'd all be zapped and gone. That's the truth. Because our standard is not his standard. But Jesus is the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. The Bible says that there's none higher and none greater. In fact, it even talks about his name being the best name there ever was. That there is one name above all other names. Everything about God is superlative. It's the best of the best. There's nothing beyond him. And that's what we get to celebrate during this Christmas season. Take advantage of that. I don't know what your Christmas tradition is. I don't know how many people in your family are believers versus unbelievers. But I'm going to challenge you to do something this Christmas, maybe that you haven't done before. Read the Christmas story for yourself. You don't have to interrupt every you know, family tradition in order to say, okay, we're going to read the entire chapter of two of Matthew today, the genealogy in chapter one. You don't have to do that. But I I want you to think about the fact that it's the reason that, that Christ is really the reason that we get to celebrate this time of year. And if we didn't have Christmas, we wouldn't have Easter. If we didn't have Christ, we wouldn't have the opportunity for new life. I want you to stand with me today. My hope and my desire is that every single person who hears this message would experience that new life that's possible and that joy that's possible. All you have to do is open up your heart, commit your life and start following him. That's all you have to do. The Bible says simply believe and then obey. Start walking in the way that he wants you to. But maybe you're here today and you're struggling with issues of control in your life. Or maybe you're struggling with jealousy. Maybe you're struggling to be committed when it comes to giving or when it comes to something of that nature. And today is the day where you can make a commitment and say, Lord, I give it all up to you. Lord, I'm thinking about my budget in January already. I'm planning on doing this, fill in the blank. You can talk about giving. Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to help me those moments when I feel the tension of jealousy setting in and I will choose to say no. I just need your strength to say no. Make a decision today to celebrate Christmas this year like never before. Father, I pray today that you would bless Celebrate Church. Bless our college students today as they take finals and things over the next week and next week. God, I just pray that you would be with all of us as we travel, as we celebrate and spend time with family and friends. Lord, would you give us the grace, the strength, and the courage to worship you extravagantly, to give abundantly, and Lord, to not allow jealousy to have a place in our hearts so that as we serve you, we would be the light that others need during this season. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said...